Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome back to another episode. We have Coach Moeller here. He's the head football coach at Stewartville. I think I said that right because I'm dumb. Stewartville yep. football. Um, first time. Coach, thanks for being here. Yeah, no, awesome. Steve, I appreciate you having me and excited to be on. I've, you know, It's an awesome opportunity that I've had to be able to go on and connect with a couple different uh, coaches and platforms and things like that through the, through the podcast. Um, it's just an awesome way to connect and and get on a you know a platform to talk about stuff that we do in our program and share it out because I think it's you know I think there's value in what we're doing and I think it's important to share with with coaches and, and athletes um, uh, you know a little different way to do things right and, and a little different um, way to look at stuff and, and how to process and um, how to perform and win and have success so um, appreciate you having me on looking forward to it yeah that this is the only positive I took from COVID was how do you zoom and like reach out to people and <laughs> podcasting and all that stuff. Like that's the only positive yeah. I took from that. You bet. No, that's yeah. Same here. Right. I think all of us realized we could do so much more virtually and get a lot done and be more efficient with stuff. So, uh, no, hundred uh, percent agree with you there. And, but I still do this podcast and, and when I use zoom though, I'll forget how to use it sometimes though. I'm like, we were so good at it. And then like I hop on Got the- away from it a little bit right now. It's like not the regular, but, Kind of remember, it's like riding a bike, right? You get back on and well, everything goes smooth. We did have the audio at the very beginning problem, so apparently I've lost That's my true. touch on. <laughs> we got it figured out when it counted here now. 
Yeah, just took a little problem solving, a little like common sense from my end. You you were fine. It was my end that screwed it up. Um, but yeah, um, before we dive into what we'll probably talk about, um, how did you get into coaching? Like what was, because we all have a different yeah. way to get there. Um, what was your way of becoming a football coach? Yeah, great question. Um, so for me, I grew up playing multiple sports and, you know, athletics was a big part of my life. Um, my dad was a head football coach um, and was my entire life. He did it for like 35 plus years, I think, head coach for um, almost all of it. And so, you know, growing up, I had, a, I guess, a unique opportunity perspective on high school athletics. I was able to go be at football practices and I was a ball boy for my dad's team growing up. Um, and so got to be on the sidelines and in locker rooms and stuff like that. So especially with football, uh, was always just a, a big part of my life and really enjoyed, um, that experience and how it made me feel. And, um, you know, the, the relationships that you built with teammates and finding mm -hmm. success and winning and being competitive, all that kind of stuff. Right. So, um, just sports was a big part of my life growing up and then having that role model with my dad at home and seeing the impact that he made. Um, it was certainly something that I, I wanted to do, or at least wanted to, you know, have, a uh, have football, um, and athletics somehow part of, of what I did. And so, um, going to college originally, I was going to do athletic training. And then, um, I also wanted to play, play college football. And so I had an opportunity at Wisconsin lacrosse, um, originally from Western Wisconsin, Menominee, Wisconsin, small town, um, on the Western part of the state. And so I went to UW lacrosse and couldn't do the athletic training thing and, and play football too. And, and they had a great, um, physical education, program and both my parents were teachers. So, um, and it was something I always wanted to do was to work with kids and be able to have an opportunity to coach. So it seemed like kind of the best uh, avenue for me to be able to do those things that I was passionate about. So, um, got into, uh, got my undergrad degree in physical education, played football at UW lacrosse for the best years of my life, mm -hmm. enjoyed every minute of it. And then that kind of springboarded into my professional career, um, being able to, uh, teach, uh, physical education and, and coach high school football. And so I've been doing that ever since 2008. So going on, this was year 15 for me this past year. Mm. It seems like it's, it's flown by. Um, but, but yeah, it was uh, always something that I was really passionate about and wanting to do. Um, and so just thankful, you know, for, to my dad, probably number one for kind of instilling some of those things into me. And it's kind of funny. I, um, my shared experience, I guess, with my dad, even though he was a head football coach and um, as much as I enjoyed the sport and how big of it was uh, as part of my life, we actually didn't really have a shared experience with high school football. He actually was the head coach and taught in a different school district than what we lived in. Mm -hmm. So he traveled like 45 minutes or so, um, north of where we lived to be the head coach and, and was a FIAD teacher and, um, guidance counselor, um, at that, at that school. And so growing up, I, then went to school in the town we lived in in Menominee and, and went to high school there. So, you know, he, on Friday nights when I, when I was in my junior, senior year of varsity football, he was coaching in one city and I was playing in another. So most of our, you know, talk surrounding our football games was on a Saturday morning about how, how things went. So mm -hmm. he never really got to see me actually play a lot of football games. Uh, once I, once I got to high school, um, but you know, he handled it extremely well and, and I don't have any regrets about that. And, um, or anything like that. And now, um, he's retired from, from being a head coach and, and teaching and stuff like that. So he's able to, um, come down and help me out now at Stuartville as one of my assistants. And so it's pretty cool. We've been able to catch up on some lost time and things like that. And so he's, 
Um, actually been an assistant at Stuartville for like eight or nine years now. Oh, so wow. we've uh, been able to to coach together and have that shared experience now, just a little bit later on um, than most father and sons have uh, right. with football, you know, growing up. So it's been great to be able to catch up on some lost time and, and uh, just have him as a, as a mentor for me, um, starting off my head coaching career and, and using a lot of his expertise and experience um, to help me grow and, and find success in my role now. So, yeah, it's been a journey. How does it feel being his boss now? <laughs> it's, it's good. He, he, uh, uh, I probably need to, uh, do, do a better job sometimes, you know, it's like, oh yeah, okay, dad, you know, but he, mm-hmm. uh, he really truly has, has experienced virtually everything and has so much expertise in a lot of different areas, especially when it comes to, you know, things like culture and leadership and, um, just game experience and stuff like that. So, um, he, he does a, a great job, I think of, uh, helping feed, ideas and things to me, mm-hmm. um, that are impactful and important to our program. And, um, I try to do the best I can to listen and, um, just thankful for, you know, everything that he's helped giving back to our program. He's, you know, we, um, affectionately known as coach pops on our staff <laughs> and, and to our players, uh, having two coach Mullers on staff might get a little confusing who you're talking right, to and stuff right. like that. Um, so that's what, that's what my kids call him is, is pops instead of grandpa. So we just, uh, we just use it for football as well. So, um, no, it's great having him on our staff and is a big asset to our program. That's a good name, Coach Pops or just Pops. Yeah. One or the other. That's great. Yeah. Um, yeah. Man, you've been here since 2008. I thought you were younger than that. I don't know why. You had the vibe of being younger. <laughs> I was like, I think I'm older, but no. Well, thanks. I'll take it as a compliment. <laughs> yeah, no, I, uh, yeah, my, uh, so yeah, 15 years already. So I graduated in 2007 from lacrosse. Um, and then, yeah, I've been doing it now for, what seems like not that long time right. flies for right. sure so yeah because i walked on to play college ball got my butt kicked and i was like the same for me anymore uh <laughs> the funny thing about talking to uh coach holler was we did this my podcast and a week and a half later he did a clinic right down the street in chicago the oak brook glazier one so yep. i went and talked to him and he goes oh my god you're taller in person because i'm six five and he's like you can't tell on oh. zoom so i walked yeah, you're a big dude I, i'm six five you know was a lineman so he walked up he goes oh my god i didn't realize you were that tall and so i'm like yeah um because i'm only 32 so people think i'm older so that's why i'm like i gotta be older but i i was coaching since 19 years old and i'm 32 so i've been doing it 13 years 14 years right so a long time while i was in college i was like i have to coach i was coaching and blah 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 helped out spring ball with eastern when jimmy g was there dino babers was there all that stuff, but you're what I'm trying to say is it feels like that was forever ago, but it really was, it was forever ago, but it doesn't feel like it 13, 14 yeah, years. It right. just flies. You enjoy it and it goes by fast, right? Yeah. All the experiences and stuff like that. It's crazy to think back that you've been doing it. Yeah. As long as you have, even though in comparison, you know, there's people have been doing it for a lot longer than we have, but well, the COVID year aged me a lot. Yeah. <laughs> that aged me a ton. Same. Because I don't know what happened up there, but here we did all three sports between January and the beginning of June. That's right. Oh, yeah, we were. I remember kind of keeping up with some of the area states because we were, you know, trying to figure out what was going to happen and what are other states doing. And we're not too far from Iowa. You know, we're only about twenty, thirty minutes from the mm-hmm. from the southern border of Minnesota. So that was we were kind of keeping up with what they were doing, and we're an hour from Wisconsin. So um, originally the fall season 
in 2020, they canceled football, mm-hmm. which is kind of crazy because they approved soccer. Basically, they approved every fall sport except except football. <laughs> and so we're like, what? Yeah. And so uh, there was, I think, a lot of pushback from whatever, coaching community or parents, players, you name it. And about a month later, they had another meeting and basically reinstated it. Mm-hmm. So we had a late start to the season. And because of that, we only played like, wow, what was our schedule? I think we were only scheduled to play six games. And then uh, because of COVID quarantines and positive cases, all that kind of stuff, I think we only ended up playing five. And then uh, stuff got really bad again and so everything shut down. So we had like half a season and there was a week where where myself and half the team, we were out on like a quarantine and we had, I conducted a virtual practice from my living room where I had my computer up and I had, we were on, we were on zoom or Google meet and I had all the players tiled out on my screen and I would call a play. And so they were all standing up in their, wherever in their house, cause they were home on, on quarantine too. And they couldn't be at practice and I call a play and they all had to like go through their footwork and steps for the play to whatever practice it. Cause then all their other half of our players were at school practicing mm-hmm. with some of my assistants and we had to play a game at the end of that week on a Saturday. So literally we spent like the week practicing in our living rooms, showed up to play on Saturday and it, <laughs> the game went about as well as you would ex- expect it to go practicing in your living room. So it was right. a wild time, man. I hear you. Oh, it, it was wild. It aged everybody. Uh, it was funny. Well, not funny. They January came. And they said, "Okay, we're going to approve everything. Basketball starts first, then football, then or you know, winter, sp- uh, fall, spring. That's what's going to happen." The day of the first practice, I hadn't gone to practice yet. Um, we fell off, and we were like, "Let's just go get a test." You know, we don't have it. We just I'm not going to work today. I have a headache. Staring at computer screen all day. We got a test about an hour later. Ding. We look at our phone. Oh, you've tested positive. We're like, oh, shit. Okay. First day of practice. I hadn't gone there yet. Thank First goodness day. I didn't yeah. show up. Yeah, yeah, right. That was always my worry was I was going to like get, you know, half of our team. You know, I'd be the one that was positive or something like that. And, and then you get half team sick and you just you know, feel guilty about kids missing opportunities and stuff like that. Especially our seniors. I feel, you know, I feel horrible for my uh, our, our senior group that year because we, we were going to have a – I think we're gonna have a really good year. We were coming off 2019 it was actually our first year that we implemented feed the cats in our program. Mm-hmm. We had an undefeated regular season district champs, um, lost in the third round of the playoffs uh, to a really good team, and had a lot of uh, our best players coming back for 2020. Mm-hmm. So we were really looking forward to you know building on all that success and kind of a new way of doing stuff, and then. COVID kind of blew up our whole process there. Uh, we lost kind of 12 months of, I feel like, uh, of growth and almost had to start back over again in mm-hmm. 2021. So, yeah, just tough, like you said, for a lot of for a lot of reasons. And thankful we've moved past uh, some of that now and and uh, been able to do um, some some great stuff in our program since. Yeah, the only and, and something funny from that time was I did basketball, football, track. Four days after track was over, the state said go back to normal. So we were back in swing of like summer basketball and summer football in June. Oh, sure. I was so mentally gone and burnt out that I was, I was gonna say, right. 
I was calling basketball plays during my offensive line drills. I was like calling uh, football plays imagine, during right? basketball. And I'm like, yeah, you don't have that reset right mm, between. No. Uh, tough. And then going right into football in August, it was having two football yeah. seasons. It was I feel like a college. We like, like that was our spring. We don't have spring ball. Like a spring ball. Cause we don't have that yeah. in Illinois. So we don't know what that is. Yeah. So, yeah, it was, I'll see there. so it was like, that was our spring. And I had just gone to a new school, like an idiot that summer of 2020. The, the, oh. Where I'm at now, the coach is like, "Hey, I need an O-line guy." Blah 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 blah. The stipend was like four thousand more than where I was at, so I was like, "Yes, COVID can't stick around that long. It'll be fine." And it'll be fine by the fall. That's I was like, "It'll be fine." And yeah. Then then it was like, "Okay, our first game is in March, and it'll be snowing because it's Illinois." And we're like, "Perfect!" And it's like twenty degrees outside, and we're playing football. And yeah, yeah. Um. I don't want to dwell on the COVID stuff too much. I just find it funny looking back at that time. And I think that's where I lost my hair. I used to have hair. And I think at that time, <laughs> it's just gone. Turn for the worse. Um, but you did say you did feed the cats. And it's a rabbit hole I've dove into. My friend back home has been doing this probably around the same time that you probably have done. And he's always tried to talk to me about it. And I kept saying, yeah, yeah, whatever, whatever. Because um, I remember, it might have been during COVID, actually. He said, Steve, if you come watch one of my girls' track practices, you'll think we're the laziest team in the state of Illinois. And I said, why? Oh, when we run, we sit for like five minutes. And they, we don't do anything. And I said, what do you mean you do nothing? I was like, no, Steve, like, hey, you see that chair? Just go sit in the chair or go sit on the ground or, or whatever. And, go relax. Right. And I just never clicked with me to research it until like basketball season this year. It like clicked with me of like okay. the football team, we need to do something different. I'm very curious about all this stuff. So before I had talked to Coach Dixon and then I talked to the man, Coach Holler, and be like, let me go to the source yeah. and figure this out. Right. Um, but I need to relate it to football. I need a football coach to try yeah. to f- – because Coach Holler can do it great for football, great for track, but I need a football coach to tell me how it works. Um, so let's just start. What like did you kind of do the same thing I did? Like I just need something different, or how did you see this to implement it? Yeah, yeah. So my first, so I've been at Stuartville since 2011, um, and we had had success since I had arrived. I guess you could say um, we made two state semifinals in 2014, 2015. Uh, a couple conference championships so like we were successful doing it another way i would say Mm -hmm. kind of the old school traditional way you know um practicing hard every single day uh full pads two or three days a week um you know working really hard beating each other up a little bit um but we had you know talented players and good coaches and so i really believe now and i believe other programs too who still do it that way right and find success and win football games and that's the hard part is you know people say well we've done it this way we've won a lot so why mm-hmm. would we why would we change why would we do it another way and i and intuitively like that makes sense right um i guess my argument is are you being successful though because of what you're doing like do a deep dive and really connect the dots is it because of what you're doing that you're winning or are you winning despite what you're doing and could you actually improve and be better than what you are um because ultimately like you know talented kids are going to win games regardless of how what you do with them like i have a, I had a well he was actually a senior in that COVID year um 
Uh, his name is Will Cheddar. He plays for University of Michigan basketball now, right? Like a mm-hmm. freak athlete. Like those, he was going to be good at whatever he did, regardless of how I trained him. Right. Right. Like he, he was a starting three year starting quarterback for us, led the state in scoring his junior and senior year in basketball and won state his senior year in the disc through 175 feet. Mm-hmm. Um, he was six, seven to 25. Like he was going to be good no matter what. So I just, I've uh, kind of grown now. I feel like to the point as I look back and it's like, well, yeah, we were successful because we had good players. We had good coaches. We did, we did, you know, good schemes, stuff like that. Um, and so after kind of the, uh, after 2014, 15 seasons, we started to tail off a little bit. We had like two, five and four seasons back to back. Um, attitudes, I guess, weren't, or I shouldn't say bad, but kids maybe probably weren't overly excited to be a part of our program. Um, we were trying to, I remember having meetings during the year with coaching staff. Well, what can we do to like make practice more fun or what can mm-hmm. we do to like make it so the players enjoy being at practice more? And so we were like trying to manufacture these fake things that we were going to do at practice to make it better to keep kids so they weren't like pissed off, tired, and not mm-hmm. enjoying the season or looking forward to being done with the season. Um, and so I took over as the head coach in 20. 20- uh, 18 and we had a great start to the year doing it the way we had always done it. Um, and then had a bunch of injuries. Um, we had had some injuries the years prior to that too. And again, kind of attitudes started to get crappy again as the, once you get kind of midway through the year and the, mm-hmm. you know, the, the shine of the, the season starting wears yep. off. Yep. Um, and we lost three of our last four games and lost in the first round of the playoffs and ended up, um, six and four, I think was our final record or something like that. So during that off season, I was like, all right, like you just said, like, we got to do something different. Mm-hmm. Like what we've been doing the last three years is not winning those football games. Kids are not enjoying being a part of our program. Um, we got, we got to find something different. And it was probably like January, I want to say of 2019. So kind of that off season in between I stumbled upon I can't remember how I came across the article. I think I was looking up, um, I don't even remember now, something on essentialism I had heard about this mm-hmm. this concept or idea. And somehow an article by Brad Dixon came up about um, this Feed the Cats and sprint-based football. Mm-hmm. So, I, so I read the article and he had mentioned Tony's name and stuff like that. And, you know, just piqued my interest right away. And then found a... Uh, um, uh, digital or virtual presentation he had done. Um, and so from a clinic and watch that and then just kind of the floodgates kind of opened for us mm-hmm. and started talking about, you know, rest being more important than practice and how you make, you know, practice the best part of a kid's day and prioritizing performance, you know, over the grind and hard work. Um, and so all these concepts that uh, were relatively new, in terms of the world of football, but as you read them, it's like, yeah, that, that makes sense. Like Mm -hmm. I can't argue with that, you know? Um, and so I was lucky enough to have, uh, younger coaching staff growth mindset, a couple guys that were willing were with me. And so we jumped like headfirst, uh, full in, um, to completely revamping our process and how we, um, put our, put our program together. And so we spent that off season 
kind of figuring out how is this going to look for us in football and kind of leaned on some articles that Brad had written because he had been doing it for a year or two with a lot of success and how they um, set up practice during the week and um, listened to, to a lot of the stuff and read a lot of stuff that Tony had put out there. And so kind of came up with our own version of it, I guess you could say, but really very similar to what Brad does down at Camp Point there in Illinois. And um, we're lucky enough to have a great group of seniors that year that were, I think, willing to try something new because they had not had great experiences their sophomore and junior years. Weren't an overly talented group, but wanted to win and were really good leaders. And so lucky to have kind of their support as we implemented this because, you know, it's, it's a big risk that you are willing to, you know, have mm-hmm. to take to do something this way. And if it's not successful, you're going to have a really hard time then, I think, getting over the hump and trying to sell it if, mm-hmm. if you don't find success early on with it because it is so different and people will write you off really quick, especially parents, community members, things like that who are used to doing it one way, right. you know? Um, and so we, yeah, we kicked off that, that first year and um, ended up run, running the table in the regular season. And so it was kind of a, almost a, almost, you know, everything kind of perfectly coming together, I want to say. Right. Uh, that worked out for us and, and things that really kind of springboarded us um, onto our success. So, yeah, it was just an impetus for change, really, and um, stumbling upon that. And, you know, I, I think, and Tony says it, like, you know, we, we wouldn't implement this and continue to do it if it didn't win. I mm-hmm. think that's a big thing. Like, right. Like, uh, yet winning is not the number one priority in our program. Um, I, I'll talk a lot about that with our culture and our leadership that we develop in our program, but, um, we love to compete and we love to win. And that's a big part of the reason why we do it. And, um, you know, if, if, if we're not winning, then um, it's it's tough to get buy-in and, and people believe what you're doing. So, you know, Feed the Cats, I think, delivers um, a great experience for kids and coaches, and we enjoy the process a lot more than the old way of doing it, and it wins on top of it. And mm-hmm. so I think those are kind of the two number one factors for me why we continue to do it, and uh, I'll probably never do it another way as long as I'm a head coach anyway. You said essentialism. I just got done reading that book. There it is, yeah. 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 Yep, you yep. said that. I'm like, yep, so, I just finished it. Yeah, and, and I think that's you know such a great um, just talking about less is more, you know, and then really looking at what are the essential things in your program that drive results, right, and mm-hmm. lead to success. And I think uh, a feed the cats approach uh, really forces you to do a deep dive and think about what is essential because you only have so much work that you're going to do. Right, we're we're not, we're going to cut down our practice time. We're going to cut down our reps. We're going to prioritize rest and performance. Um, and so to do that, we can't have this you know huge plate of everything that we have to do. I, th- I think that's a lot of a lot of coaches you know are like, well, how do you get you know A, B, and C done? There's just not enough time. It's like you're right, there isn't. And mm-hmm. so you're going to have to go through and you know trim some of the fat and figure out what actually is essential to your success. And if it's not, get rid of it. And that was a hard thing for me to do. It still is a hard thing for me to do as a head coach. Um, I'm a pretty detail-oriented guy. And um, growing up, it was more is better, right? Mm-hmm. The harder I work, the more I do, the more success I'm going to find. Um, and and as I look back, it wasn't necessarily, you know, that wasn't why I found success in the things that I did. It was uh, more just the, the pointed things, you know, the essential things that, that led to that success. And so you can cut out the other stuff. Um, and still find as much, if not more success, because you're going to be 
better rested and have more focused on the things that really matter. I was going to say, how, how uncomfortable was is it? Because I think that's where, no matter how much I talk to Tony or how much I read things, it's still hard to wrap my mind around it. And maybe I'm already uncomfortable because I'm not a head coach. I'm not the OC. I'm the run game guy. Yeah, that's hard. I'm the run game yeah. guy, so none of it. I can give it to the coach. I can do whatever, but it's not up to me. But when I'm researching for my own personal benefit of like maybe um, – I'm, maybe I'm uncomfortable reading it because it's. I see schools going to state title games, and I'm like, I I know for a fact they don't do this. I know for a fact yeah. they're hitting and tackling every single day, but I know they're two platooning, and we're not. We're not a program to two platoon. I know they are. I coach at a school that does two platoon, so I understand how practices work. They're hitting. They're doing this. Um, so. Was it uncomfortable at first? Because I think we all are ingrained. Because Tony said it perfectly. Like, we're all ingrained to, to do 100 burpees. We're all ingrained to do this. And that's all we know when we think it's the right way to do it because that's all we know. As coaches, even though we changed, that's all we know. Yeah. And, I, you know, it, it's the fear that, oh, we didn't do enough to prepare. Yes. And now we're not yes. going to win because of it, right? It's, it's leave no stone unturned. Yes. Um, yes. And I think it's more about redefining hard work. Um, I stole that from a lot of things I say, I say that I say I steal from Tony because <laughs> he's a really smart dude and he's been around a lot longer than we have. <laughs> but but redefining hard work, right? Like our guys don't work hard in the opportunities that we give them. They work really hard in the opportunities that we give them. We're just smarter about the number of opportunities and focusing on the quality of those opportunities rather than the quantity and the volume of it. So it's not more is better. It's just better is better. Um, and so for me, 100%, it was uncomfortable at first because, you know, we would have two and a half plus hour practices or, you know, we get to in time. And I've, I've been the offense coordinator back since I started at Stewartville in 2011 and continued though that in that role as the head coach you know we get to team time and it'd be like oh let's run that one again or oh i want to add these three or four plays at the end and you know originally when i had whatever 20 plays scripted and we end up running 35 mm -hmm. it was like but then we weren't winning on a friday night necessarily either so it's like you know doing the extra doing the more is not leading to results so what is that is it you know that's leading to results and i think uh, when we redefined and kind of relooked at that, and we started to prioritize performance mm -hmm. over just getting kids tired or reps or repetition and stuff like that, and realizing that performance is what matters. Um, if that's what matters on a Friday night, then it better matter matter in practice. And if we're not high performance in practice, how can we expect our players to be high performance on a Friday? Right? We always say, "Well, you got to do it game speed, right? Do it, do it full speed, so that you learn it." And yes, I you know I agree with that, and I think any feed the cats coach agrees with that. The problem is you can't expect a kid to be full speed, high performance for 50 straight plays in practice. Mm -hmm. It's just not feasible. It's not possible, you know, physically for them. So we limit the number of plays and we give them proper rest between those plays so that they are actually high performance in practice when they take those repetitions. And we design our entire practice that way from individual time to group time to team time. And we don't sit there and take five minutes between plays like we do when we're doing speed work and running, you know, fly 10s or 40s. But we make it as game-like as possible so that it's more 
sprint capacity that we're focusing on and preparing them for a game. So they're going to run, they're going to be max speed for five to six seconds in a football play. And then we're going to take a full 30 to 45 seconds before they take the next rep. And then they're only going to take maybe six reps in a row. And then we're going to put a sub in for them because most high school football drives, when you do a study and really look at it, average six to seven plays. They're not Mm -hmm. 10, 12, like you might have one double digit drive in a football game, right? You might go three and out three straight possessions. Right. Um, Hopefully not, but that's the game, right? So make your practice look like a game so that they can prioritize performance in practice and then they're going to be high performance in a game as well. So kind of reverse engineering, I guess you could really say what a, what a game looks like, right? Um, I think we all know, if you don't, you have been living under a rock, but like a kid only plays for what, like seven, eight minutes a game total, yeah. maybe 10 minutes in high school mm-hmm. if you're playing both ways at the most, some less, right? If you're a two platoon team, it's probably five minutes total right. of, of movement and then you're out there, you know, seven o'clock kickoff. Most games aren't done until close to nine o'clock. So five minutes of work and two hours of total time. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's, there's, there's not a, a conditioning component to a, to a Friday night football game. Um, it's about prioritizing that performance. And so, um, you know, we, we, I guess, subscribe to the, the philosophy or idea that we're going to make practice. We're going to prioritize performance and practice and we're going to let Friday nights be the hardest day of the week for our kids. Um, I think, you know, right. The old, the other, and, and I was the same way. Uh, it's how I grew up in the program. I put, I grew up in a program that won five state championships in 10 years, my high school. Uh, we won state my, my senior year and we practiced three hours a day, you know, two or three days mm-hmm. a week. Um, we had really good football players. We had multiple guys that went on to play college football and like, you know, that's why we won. Um, the idea always was right work really really hard during the week so that the game feels easy but if i truly believe if you're trying to make games the easiest thing and you're working super hard during the week you're beating your guys up some guys don't even make it to the game because they got injured during the week doing mm-hmm. it that way so the idea again intuitively it would you'd think it makes sense but because you beat them up monday through friday now they're only 80 percent healthy when they come into a game on a Friday night. Right. And that now they're fatiguing and getting tired from that point. So they're never at hundred percent when they even step on the field on a Friday night for our guys, you know, uh, we're only practicing full speed one day a week on a Wednesday. Our guys are hundred percent healthy when we step on the field on a Friday night. So we're already in an advantageous position against our opponents who have been practicing all week long and we're faster on top of that. Uh, so they're going to fatigue quicker than we do. And we've already started fresher than they are at the beginning of the game. So most of our games this past year were over by halftime because the other team didn't even stay on the chance before we, we took the field. So, you know, um, I think that's the, you know, that's the hard, uh, you know, flip-flop that we have to make is instead of making the week the hardest thing to hope that Friday's the easiest, we make the week the easiest thing. Fridays are the hardest, but it's only the hardest physically mentally we can handle it because we've been high performance during the week and we're starting out the game healthy. Um, so we can, uh, be high performance longer as the game goes on. Right. I think where people like me are having a hard time. I, if you said this is our sprint workout at the beginning, I think we could all get behind it. I think my mind would wrap around it 
I think other football coaches might wrap around it like, oh, you're going to run this twice and then you're going to have them rest. Perfect. We, we can wrap our minds around that. I think where maybe we have a hard time is if I look at my old line going, well, I want lots of individual time. I want lots of reps. I yeah. want lots of X, Y, and Z because we have to learn how to do all this stuff. And I was typing up stuff for our football team already. I've already tried to sneak in this stuff of here's the footwork, here's how you double team, here's how you do whatever, but don't do many reps. Like do the footwork, do the hand placement, maybe do it two or three times and they got to be done. Then you got to move on to something else or whatever. And I'm having a hard time wrapping my mind around less reps and then feeling good about well, they, they can't – or like from a lineman perspective, because I think from a whole team, yeah. we can wrap our minds around it. I think when you take individual of like, well, the old line, they can't double team because we did three reps or we did four reps or whatever it is. And maybe you think the same way I do. As a football coach, I want it handed to me. Like, tell me how many reps, how many of this, and I'll figure <laughs> it out. You know, like we're, sure. we're those type of give human me the beings. Recipe. Yes. Right. Give me the recipe, right? Give yeah. me give me the recipe yeah. and I'll figure it out. And. Yeah. I feel like this feed the cats and kind of have to kind of have a feel for it, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and so again, uh, going back, well, I don't know if Tony came up with this or maybe Brad Dixon at first, but Brad wrote an article about it. Um, you know, coaches just want the damn recipe. Mm-hmm. And uh, you really, you got to learn how to cook, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so that's what, you know, is you know, we're going into year five of it for us. And we're still trying to hone that craft, right? That cooking, how, what is enough? Right. Mm-hmm. What? How many reps do we need in the week to be able to perform and execute on a Friday night? Right. Like we we have our recipe, but how do we tweak that as a cook now so that it comes out just right at the end of the week? Right. Right. And that's unique. I think. And that's. I think that's the important thing for coaches to know too. Like that doesn't have to be the same for you and for me, or or for Brad. You know, with his program, that's going to look a little bit different program to program depending on what you do offensively, defensively, right? What your, how many two-way guys you got? Are you two platoon or, you know, got a bunch of um, two-way dudes? Like it's going to be different for everybody. So you got to tweak your recipe and, and, and how you cook and figure that's your process to figure out. So I can't like give that to you. I can tell you what we do, but that, you know, it's not a mm-hmm. plug and play deal necessarily. Um, for us, what we've found, well, like really specific example from the O-line. Um, we start out our practices on Tuesday and Wednesday with special teams. We don't put any of our linemen on any of our specials other than extra point. Um, and we, we roll that into our team time on Wednesdays when we're padded so we can have a little contact uh, for that port for that special team. Um, but we start out with, like 20 minutes of special teams on both of those days. And we use that for our offensive line kind of as our pre-practice time mm-hmm. to go through on Tuesday. Hey, here's the front that we're going to see. Here's our three base run schemes this week. You know, how's that going to look for everybody blocking this front this week? Okay. Wednesday, here are their favorite blitzes. Here's what pressures they're going to bring on third down. How does that look in our two to three pass protection schemes? So we can essentially kind of walk through or, or get limited contact repetition that isn't going to beat beat guys up, mm-hmm. you know, 
um, but at least gets them moving and thinking about what they have to do so that when we get to our legit indie time during practice, those reps can be better mm-hmm. um, and they can be better quality because then we do, you know, when we get to indie group team time, things like that during the week, you know, we're only on the field. So if we do 20 minutes of special teams, you know, we probably only have an hour and 15 to an hour and 30 minutes of offense and defensive time. Um, hour and 45 minutes, hour and 50 minutes is typically our practice time on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Um, and we're doing both sides of the ball because we have half our guys that go both ways. So we're mm-hmm. doing, you know, 40 to 45 minutes of offense and 40 to 45 minutes of defense then um, uh, for a practice. And so we really talk with our coaching staff and with our players about because the reps are going to be limited, the quality has to be really, really good. Or at least your your intent has to be really, really good, mm-hmm. right? You might F something up or, you know, have a bad rep and we don't care about that necessarily, but we do care about your intent and your focus and your response and how you correct if you do make a mistake. So you're only going to get these handful of repetitions. So your intent be better be really, really good with those reps because I know you want to be good on a Friday, mm-hmm. right? We all want to be great on Friday. So you better take this opportunity to do so. And we've found over time that the number of repetitions that we need was probably not as many as we thought we did once the players understood their process and what that needed to look like to get ready with the opportunities that we gave them for a Friday night. So I think for a first time coach that's wanting to get into a feed the cats and you're used to essentially getting unlimited, whatever many reps you want until you feel good about it. Mm-hmm. Um, understanding that probably the first half of those reps were maybe half-assed or didn't have a whole lot of intent or focus, and that's why they sucked, and that's why you needed to do more to get to the point where you felt good about it. Mm-hmm. When you go into it knowing this is all I get, your focus and your intent's really good from the start. And so now we're not wasting time and energy um, on stuff that doesn't matter, and we can just be really good in the few opportunities that we get, and, and that's all we really need to be good on a Friday. And, you know, teams would that play us know, at least from an offensive standpoint, we're not um, – I, you know, teams would think that we're pretty complicated and pretty multiple offensively. Mm-hmm. So I do get I get a lot of questions from coaches like, "Well, how do you, you know, how do you do all that you do on a Friday night with limited practice opportunities during the week?" And I just kind of say, you know, our guys are really focused. Mm-hmm. They're really focused with the reps that they get, and when they're not in, you know, it's a mental rep, and that's the thing too. Like we do, um, you know, during team time this past fall on a Tuesday and a Wednesday, I only had 15 scripted plays on a Tuesday and 15 scripted plays on a, on a Wednesday and that's it. So 30 plays mm-hmm. for the two days. Uh, and within those 30 plays, we had a handful of goal line plays, a handful of red zone plays, handful of third down, different third down situations. Um, and then a couple of just regular first and second down, you know, looks. So, you know, they're only getting maybe four to five plays in each of those different situations um, throughout the week. And we have multiple guys that were that were moving in and out because we want to keep guys fresh through the week too. So it's not like our starters are taking all fifteen of those reps. Um, our starters probably get the first, like I said, six to seven. Mm-hmm. We'll put our second guys in for four, and then we'll put our and then after our starters have rested, we'll put them back in for the last five or six, and then and then we're done. But we expect our starters to be fully engaged while those second guys are in with the play call and what they would be doing had they been in there. So I feel like we get a lot 
out of our guys um, from a focus and mental standpoint when they're not necessarily physically going through the rep, but they're taking a good mental rep through that because they know they're only going to get, you know, eight reps during a team time and, and they want to be ready to go because they want to be successful on a Friday. So it matters to them to, to do that. When one thing I know when I go back and tell my coaches, like, maybe we need to think about this. Did it force you to like scale back on any type of plays you had? Like we can't have all of these plays. Maybe we have to scale yeah. it back a little bit. Yeah. Or at least it did from a week to week basis. So like we'll go through the summer we don't have any spring ball in Minnesota. We get um, we get 11 um, contact days in the summer, which is a good number. I feel like like if we had more than that, I don't know that I would do any more. I know I should say I know we wouldn't do any more because we have so many multi-sport athletes, guys that are playing baseball and basketball. Mm-hmm. Most of our guys are the most burnt out and tired at the end of the summer than they are at the end of any sports season mm-hmm. because they're getting pulled by so many different sports and workouts and and then uh you know they get to get away and family vacations uh, but they're traveling and stuff like that so right um we have 11 days we we use three of those days at a team camp which are valuable reps for us because we get a lot of plays together as a team versus others um and then we have eight essentially eight practices throughout mm-hmm. the summer and so we try to install um a good chunk of stuff through the summer. Um, we do a couple seven on sevens and stuff like that too. So we install a lot of our passing game through those, we call them our OTA practices and through seven on seven and stuff like that. And then we have our first two weeks of camp in August. Um, so we try to have everything installed. I shouldn't say everything, but 90% of our stuff installed kind of going into that first game. And then there'll be a few, tags and variations on stuff that we'll put in when we think we're ready as the season goes on. Um, but that doesn't mean we're going to, we're going to use all that stuff on a given week. Mm-hmm. So we kind of look at it as like, we have this palette, right. Of all the things that we can do. Um, when we go through a coach's kind of game plan meeting, we'll pick and choose based on fronts and coverages and things like that. And what teams do well, how can we attack that? Where do we think their deficiencies are? What's going to be successful for us this week. And that's what we're going to focus on then during the week. So we try to be intentional with our game plans um, to give our guys the best opportunity to be successful and kind of picking and choosing what works. Um, That being said, um, we did for sure scale back. Like we used to carry probably six or seven different run schemes and we're essentially run three now. Mm -hmm. Um, But we run those three a lot better than we, you know, than we probably did when we had seven. Right. Um, So we're better because of that. The whole less is more. Mm-hmm. Right. We, we right. have less to do, but we're, we can hang our hat on more stuff now and be more successful. And that allows us to be, um, I think too, again, from a run game perspective, um, it allows us to have more tags and variations within those schemes based on fronts and what the team's doing from week to week, mm-hmm. because we don't have to install, we don't have to install a new scheme this week to attack this. Oh, we can just change this responsibility this week. It's still the same play. And our guys are able to wrap their their brain around that and learn that more efficiently and be able to execute it at a higher level. So, um, and then the same thing in the passing game too. You know, we do a lot of RPO stuff, um, tagged with our runs. So that actually helped replace a lot of our quick game. Mm-hmm. Um, so we probably you know have four or five quick game concepts that we're running 
Um, we have a pretty robust screen game. Uh, we, we spend a good amount of time on screen stuff during the week. We've found that that's been a big part of our success. So we've, we've put more time into that than putting in maybe more quick game or vertical passing game stuff. Um, and then, you know, we only, you know, we only face a third and medium to long a handful of times in a football game. So like, I don't need 10 intermediate to vertical concepts because I'm only going to call maybe two in a right. game at right. the most. Um, so, you know, we've, we've gotten that down. So we try to keep it like under five. Everything mm-hmm. is kind of my rule of thumb. Um, if it, if it's something that we want to add uh, that puts us over that number, then we got to take something out. Right. And, uh, and so that's always the hard thing because guys will be like, Oh, but we like this too. And it's like, well, then we got to pick one because we're not ever going to likely call both of them. So we don't need them both. And that's wasted reps and time for us from an install standpoint for our guys to get, for our guys to get prepared. So, um, it, that's been, the, that's probably been one of the harder parts too, is because you look at this stuff and it's like, Oh, that looks good. Or, mm-hmm. I like that concept or, but it's like, yeah, that, that takes time to install it. And, and what do you get out of it? That's different than what you already have. And if you like it better, great take out what you were doing and just replace it. But again, more, more is just more. It's mm-hmm. not, uh, it's not, it's not always better. So, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of been something that we, we've done a good job of, um, offensively trying to trim some things back defensively. We've been pretty simple for the most part, um, or try to keep it simple so the guys can play fast. I think mm-hmm. that's, um, you know, uh, a lot of programs do that on the defensive side to allow their guys think less and just play more and react. Um, so our defense coordinator does a great job of, of keeping things pretty simple. And we allow, you know, we build, we talk about building apex predators mm-hmm. in our program. So we just, we have guys that sprint fast and hit hard and we just let those underlying physical qualities kind of take over. And uh, we focus more of our time on block destruct tackling um, alignment, uh, stuff like that. And, and we feel good about defending what most teams do out of our base front and you know you'll you'll face a triple option team or, or something like that where you have to um scheme a little differently on that mm-hmm. particular week but for the most part we can we can keep it pretty simple and let our guys play fast on the defensive side then too yeah because our head coach played linebacker in college so when i was talking to him about this stuff like we don't need to hit all the time we don't need to do this his linebacker he doesn't listen to this so i don't care his linebacker instincts <laughs> kick in you know like yeah. We have to do one-on-ones. We have to go hit. We have to go do this. We have to do this. So when I was trying to explain some of this, he goes, the question will become, well, we have to tackle. So on Tuesdays when we're not going to wear shoulder pads, do we just tackle bags? And I said, yeah, you know, we could just tackle bags. You can wrap up guys without it, you know, just wrap them up. Yeah. Um, what about when we face a, a fast team? And I said, well, that's why I want to look more into this speed day. Like, how do we come faster? And you know, maybe speed will give confidence that they can get there. And because we're dealing with a program, I should back up, is struggling. It's a struggling program. My goodness, playoffs since 2015, maybe like it's been a struggling time. We play very good teams, we're whatever. But that's why we we all keep talking about doing something different. You know, like we're a spread team. So the question was, do we go I formation? Do we do wing T? And I have to stop them and say, no, 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 no. I don't. I don't want to do that. But. Um, well, that's like, uh, you know, scheme is not going to all of a sudden change the type of athlete that you have necessarily or how your process, how you go about preparing guys for the game. Like 
all that stuff works, right? There are wing T teams that win state championships. There are I teams that win state championships. Right. There are spread teams that win state championships. So it's not the scheme that's all of a sudden, I think, going to change your outcome or your results, right? It's mm-hmm. your your process has to change and has to get better. Um, right. It's not what you do. It's how you do it. Right. And so I think that's really, really the, the important thing to think about, right, when you're how do you how do you apply this to your program? And I mean, there's and there's value too to you know the the athlete type of athletes that you have and things like that and, and fitting the scheme that you run right. If you don't have a throwing quarterback or you don't have a lot of guys that can catch the ball, then you should probably run the ball more, maybe you know. But mm-hmm. um, but you just said it like well, or your coach said, well, what do we do when we face a fast team? It's like wouldn't it be cool if we were the fast team and people had to figure out how to adjust to us. Right. right, and so I think that's what that's what we've kind of found in against teams that we play is teams got to figure out a way to adjust to us, and we're not having to because it's not hard for us to keep up with teams regardless of the scheme of what they do because we can move better and um, you know you mentioned tackling and stuff too. I I truly believe this that we are more violent on a Friday night because of our feed the cats approach. Um, because we are fresh and fast going into a Friday night and guys are, you know, and Brad talks about like guys being caged up and wanting to hit, like we haven't exhausted the guy through the week banging into each other, right. With tackling and physical, like who's worn Mm -hmm. down then on Friday, they've been caged up and, and we've done a good job of um, training those um, qualities or skills to be good at tackling or being physical, like all the technique stuff. We just, haven't been overly physical in practice against each other so now we can go do that to somebody else on a friday mm-hmm. and so when you put on our game tape you would think that you know we beat the or traditional coaches like would look at us and be like god those guys must practice really really hard during the week they must hit mm-hmm. like you know all week long it's like no we don't that's why we hit really hard on a friday because we can run really fast and we're really fresh and so our guys like to be really violent on a Friday because of it. So we are we're more physical now than we ever have been in our program. Um, in my ten plus years being here, because of our feed the cats approach that we take during the week. Well, that's why my offensive line mind, I'm dealing with small offensive linemen. That's just 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 what it is. Yeah. And I I'm, I'm thinking back to my past two years at least with this program or. I guess it's been three seasons. The COVID year has screwed everything up. If we're not double teaming right or driving this guy off the ball, I just keep redoing it, redoing it until we get it, redo it. And this year I might go into it saying, hey, you know what? Maybe we can't move this guy with two guys the way I want to do it. But by God, if we get there quick enough and our running back's quick enough, and like, because we're an inside zone team, sure. we're, you know, we're, okay. we're an inside zone team. We're going to run that. I put in wide zone last year because I'm dealing with smaller linemen. Let's be quick. Let's just get in their way and, you know, I, I don't need to be traditional and, you know, because doing this podcast, I've become friends with, like, Coach Rudolph. He's offensive line coach at Ohio University. Coach Prevost was at South Dakota. Like, these guys that do this powerful stuff, I'm like, I don't have 300-pound guys that could do this. Why am I right. doing this? You can't this? go displace guys three yards down the field from right. line of scrimmage necessarily. Right. I might take their footwork, but I thought about it after talking to Tony was, well, yeah, maybe if – my 200-pound lineman is quick enough to get there. Just get in the way for two seconds. That's all I need. I don't need this traditional yeah. drive him six yards down the field. And that's why, like, trying to wrap my mind around everything and, like, 
you know, with this feed the cats thing. And, you know, I told you I may be a little crazy with this. One one kickback to this was, well, lifting. And I said, well, of course we're going to lift. Of course we're going to go to the weight room, but we're they should be running first. They need to be doing this. We don't need to do this dynamic warm up. You know, we could run, we could do whatever. Um, but the problem, I guess, becomes weightlifting PE, you know, athletic PE, you know, Brad hat, you know, coach Dixon, he has one. That's how he's able to do his speed stuff during school and then do everything yep. else. We don't do that. We like, we don't have that opportunity. So I think that's where some of the coaches are quick to go. Well, how can we do speed? How can we practice and then go lift? Because we don't have this. Yeah, right. How do, how do we do all this stuff? How do we fit it in? Plus practicing. Right. You know, and everything right. else. And film. And film. Uh, <laughs> right? All the stuff that you have to get done right. in a week. And again, so it, it, like, it goes back to that essentialism, right? Like, okay, what are the essential things that we have to get done um, in a sprint base football program, <clears throat> Feed the Cats program? Speed is king. Speed's a priority. That doesn't mean we neglect strength in the weight room and stuff like that it's just we have a hierarchy right and so we don't nothing's going to take away from that speed development mm -hmm. and then we'll kind of go on down through the other stuff i should say actually before that rest and recovery actually is the, is the number one rest and recovery is more important than practice because i could go out we could go outside and have a really shitty practice and we could beat the hell out of kids and they're mm -hmm. probably worse off after practice than had they just stayed home mm -hmm. and not practice Right. So again, it goes back to your process though then too, right? So if your process is good, then, then you're fine. But if your process sucks um, and, and we're not building in rest and recovery, we're not going to be fresh and fast then on Friday and, you know, we're going to be tired and sore and not very good, not high performance on a Friday night. So, um, you know, it goes back to kind of that essentialist mindset and what, what do we need to do, what matters the most, and that's going to lead to success on a Friday. Um, and so making sure we sprint two days a week to continue to build speed and get faster. We get faster throughout the course of the football season. Um, and we have data that has shown that over the last four years, we're faster going into the playoffs, uh, than we are in the first day of practice in August. Um, we make sure to then set up our practice during the week to, uh, account for that. So we know if we're killing kids during the week, we're not going to continue to build speed and get faster because they're beat up and sore and tired and their brains fried and stuff like that. So um, we kind of go uh, every other day with our sprint and our lifting stuff during the regular season. Because mm -hmm. um, there's not enough time to do both in a day, at right. least for us, because we don't have, I actually just started an athletic PE class this past year. I got um, two sections of it, but it's not all of our kids and mm -hmm. it's a mix of. Yep. I have football kids and I have soccer kids and I have cross country kids and I have off season kids and yes, I have that's what we um, have uh, girls volleyball and you know so it's a run the gamut. I have thirty kids and thirty five kids and five different sports. Right. Um, so my my football guys who are in that class during the season get to lift during the day, um, but half our team is not in there, so I still have to account for the rest of them during the week and when they're going to lift. Right. Um, so. So to kind of, I guess, look at our week, we, so Friday's a, kind of working backward. Friday's game day, right? So we got to uh -huh. build up to that. Um, and we consider that a sprint day too. So truly, they're actually getting three days a week that they sprint because um, they're sprinting Fridays and game days. And then we want to use that wave theory. I think Tony talked about that with you kind of in uh -huh. his, when, he, when you had him on. 
um, that kind of that high versus low day. Um, and, and you got to look at CNS, right? Brain coordinating stuff, right? Everything starts there. And so if we continue to fry that system, um, it's never going to have a chance to really recover and be high performance. So we always want to set up a high performance day with um, a lower CNS day. And that doesn't mean that those days we just like don't do anything. It just means we're not getting up to full speed in practice or we're not sprinting. Um, the volumes maybe a little bit lower, but our intent is still really high. Our focus is still really high. The volume is just less. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of coaches think, oh, you're, you're, you know, on Tuesday when you practice on your low day, you guys like stand around, don't do anything. That's, that's not the case. Like we do indie still, we have a couple different group times. We have team time. Uh, it's just, our guys aren't getting up to full speed. We're only wearing helmets. We're not doing full contact. We're not tackling to the ground. And we, we cut a couple of our reps. Like that's really about it. Um, so, so Friday is a high performance sprint day. That means Thursday has to be a, a low day to set Friday up. Mm-hmm. So we do kind of very, your traditional kind of walkthrough on a Thursday where helmets only about an hour, hour and 15 minutes. And it's a scripted practice. So everything's um, kind of different situational. So we have all of our like offense, different situations that we would face in a game. Defensively, we'll hit each of our special teams for a rep. Um, and it takes us about an hour to get through that script. And we try to be really fresh and fast and light. Um, this past year, I actually, um, for my scout defense, because you and me and every coach listening knows the struggles of setting up a scout <laughs> offense and a scout <laughs> defense, right? To just line up where you're supposed to and just give us a look. Yep. Um, so I only had, like, on the Thursday, I didn't even have a defensive secondary out there. Like, I felt good enough about our skill guys and my quarterback. If we did a good job on a Tuesday and a Wednesday, Hayes in the barn, we know what we're going to expect. I don't need another look to get ready on Thursday for Friday. If we're not ready yet by Thursday, we're going to struggle on Friday. Mm-hmm. So I would have a front out there, a D-line, some linebackers, just so our linemen could go through calls and who they're supposed to you know, climb to or, or a read for our quarterback on RPO, something like that. Um, but I even have a secondary out there because I want our quarterbacks and our receivers to throw and catch the football mm-hmm. on Thursday, right? There's nothing worse than the, you know, 10th grade JV safety <laughs> uh, coming over the top and like collisioning your wide receiver on right. a go route and right. throwing it up on, you know, and, and he's feeling good because he just made a play against varsity and everyone else is pissed off. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's right. supposed to go good, right? So just, we just, just remove, right? Just, just take that out of the equation. Um, so things are fresh and fast, and we want our guys feeling good coming out of that practice, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's really important, right? Their their mindset coming out of that, that they feel good and ready to play. Um, Wednesday, then, is kind of our one full speed contact practice of the week, what most football coaches would view as a traditional football practice, I think, mm-hmm. um, or expect to see at a football practice. You know, where we still don't go bottoms. We just go um, shells, um, helmets and shoulder pads. But, um, you know, we're full speed in our indie stuff. We'll do, like, um, on offense, uh, like our receivers, we'll do more of our vertical passing uh, game that day. Um, We'll do one-on-ones with our DBs, and so they're having to get up to full speed and covering and stuff like that. We'll do inside run for our offensive line um, from a contact standpoint, uh, going close to full speed, you know, against the scout team defense. And then our team time, um, we're full speed. We just – we we don't take anything to the ground still because we want to make sure we're, we're fresh and healthy for a Friday, but um, everything else would look 
you know, like a, like a regular practice outside of probably the number of reps and, mm-hmm. the, and the amount of rest that we give guys um, during practice probably is what is uh, different for us than, than most. Um, and then Tuesdays to kind of set up. So we want to be high performance, full speed on Wednesday. So we got to set that practice up then with Tuesday's practice. So Tuesday, we're just going to be helmets, mm-hmm. but we're still going to do, we're still going to do Indy. Um, we do a lot of our group time stuff offensively. So we'll do like, we do like a, a screen drill period. So we'll go through all of our screens for that week and um, go against uh, uh, kind of like a shell defense. So we can just get our fits and stuff like that. Um, defensively, we'll go through all of our, our blitzes for that week, you know, against uh, trash cans and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So, uh, but it's not full speed you know, necessarily, uh, we just don't want our guys getting up to max velocity or anything like that in those days. And then we'll, um, def- you talked about tackling, like how do we tackle or how do we work on tackling during the week and be a good tackling team on the Friday if we're not doing full contact in practice. So we move to doing a lot of our tackling because we're not doing it necessarily live in, uh, during team time. So we have moved to doing um, a lot of circuit work with our guys on those days on Tuesday and Wednesday. Um, so we'll do a 10 minute circuit and uh, we'll, we'll try to hit tackling on one of those two days, either Tuesday or Wednesday. Um, the other thing we really emphasize in our program is block destruct. Um, Cause we feel like if we're really good with that, with, with um, defeating blocks, then our guys are going to be in a position to, to make tackles and they're going to mm-hmm. find themselves blocked virtually on every play. Um, and they're going to find themselves in disadvantaged positions because the other team came out in a formation um, where, yeah, shit, now I'm in a tough spot and I got to get through that guy to go make a play. So trying to put those guys in more um, situations that they're going to find themselves uh, on a Friday night. And then we'll, you know, and we'll, we'll scaffold those, um, those drills and those skills on top of each other, combining the block struck and tackling and stuff like that. So if we're tackling on a Tuesday, um, it's mostly with bags. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll, we'll set up um, a bunch of different position specific circuit work tackling stuff with bags if we're doing it on a wednesday and we have shells on um we'll still use bags for a lot of them um some of them we won't it'll just depend on the the specific tackling um skill or drill that we're that we're working on but we found then with that they're able to get a good number of reps in a short amount of time we can really focus talking about the skill of tackling and positioning and leverage and angles and communication and stuff like that um, and set that stuff up and really work on it there. So when we get into team time, it's more just about um, being in good positions um, and taking good leverage and good angles. And then we're just taking off in space. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's really worked well for us. Um, we, we had, I think less than we, we track missed tackles on Friday nights. Um, our goal is less than seven missed tackles a game. And I think we had a total of, um, under 40 missed tackles in our regular season this past year. So, um, and we know that that is going to lead to winning football games, right? Mm-hmm. But if you're a better tackling team, um, it's probably going to help you be a better defense and win more football games. So again, looking at the things that really matter in winning football games, tackling being one of them. Okay. How do we set up our tackling better during the week to stay fresh and healthy? And it's going to make an impact then on Friday night. Right. Um, and then, uh, and so, yeah, so that's Tuesday. And then Mondays, um, we don't even step on the field. So we, um, Monday's maybe my favorite day of the week. Um, <laughs> and it's probably a lot of our guys' favorite, favorite day of the week. Um, we don't, 
And it's crazy to think, oh, we're not even on the football field. It's our favorite day of the week. Um, and I think that's just more because of the energy uh, that we have that day. It's just kind of fun. We love setting up our week, just kind of spending time with each other and hanging out. Um, I have a really close coaching staff, guys. I just absolutely love coaching with um, and really fond, obviously, with the players in our program. And I think we have a pretty unique uh, connection between all of us. And so we just love spending time together. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it allows us just time to do that. Um, and so it's and it's surrounded, you know, we're still doing football, talking about football stuff, but um, we don't meet on the weekends mm-hmm. uh, with the players at all. They're completely off Saturday and Sunday. So they're just resting and um, excited, eager to get back to practice on Monday and see each other again um, after the weekend. Uh, we've been fortunate that all of our Monday meetings the last two years have come off a, a win. Mm-hmm. Um we were just joking about that the other day that, ah, oh man, if we, if we lose a regular season game, those Mondays maybe won't be our favorite day of the week anymore. Right. But we've been fortunate enough to win. You know, our, we've only, we've, our only losses has come in the, in the playoffs the last two years. Um, and so we typically start off um, just looking at uh, the, the game from Friday and just trying to bring some closure to that. So we won't watch through the, the full game. Um, offensively defensively we'll pick a handful of plays um that we want to fix or correct um and then also highlight um for the really good stuff so we have like a couple different uh performance indicators that we track uh, on friday nights i mentioned tackling is one of them explosive plays and stuff like that and so we'll go through and highlight all the great plays that we made first that met our performance indicators um, so we'll start off with good stuff, hunt the good stuff. Um, Steve Jones, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Coach Jones or not, um, doesn't coach football anymore, but the best speaker on leadership and culture in football, I think there is. And so we've taken a lot of stuff from him, and, and he talks a lot about hunting the good stuff. Right? It's easy to focus on the bad stuff or things that don't go well. Um, the more you can focus on the good stuff um, and bring that positive energy, uh, you're going to get what you emphasize. So... We start out with the good stuff always on a Monday and then talk about some corrections and then we'll kind of close the book uh, on that team. And then we'll go into um, game plan um, for our next opponent and uh, watch some film uh, of them. And then um, we encourage our guys to go out and watch our, our JV and our ninth grade play on Monday nights. So we try to get out on home, when they're playing at home, we get out and, and go support those guys because they do that for us on a Friday. So um, we're done. Um, early and, and get to go get to go watch them so um, that's kind of our week in terms of practice um, we sprint then on on uh, Wednesday and sorry uh, we sprint on Monday and Wednesdays before practice and, and we lift before practice on Tuesday and Thursday so we lift two days a week sprint two days a week um, going back to Monday I think that's also the biggest one of the biggest reasons our our meetings on Monday got exponentially better when we started sprinting before them okay. because um, we used to go from school sitting in a desk for eight hours to sitting in our auditorium in a chair for an hour and a half mm-hmm. and guys were tired and not wanting to pay attention and um, you know, weren't focused, weren't dialed in. And I can't blame them, you know, thinking back, it's like, Oh, why did those meetings suck? Well, because they were sitting eight hours a day and they're, 16 year 17 18 year olds they want to get up move you know horse around have fun like they want to move they want to do something um and so by sprinting before our meeting it gave them that opportunity um 
sprinting is the number one thing we can do uh, to train our central nervous system because it's the most complex uh, movement that our body has to coordinate at velocities like nothing else. Mm -hmm. So by going in and doing our sprint workout right after school takes 30 minutes um, to do our entire varsity. Um, They come off of that. Some of them hitting a PR, maybe sprinting as fast as they ever have in their entire life. And so just the energy and the juice that they have from a sprint workout with their buddies um, out in the sunshine on our track. Now, when we come in and we sit down in our auditorium for our meetings, energy's high, everyone's talking and our meetings have never been better because of it. So um, they're more engaged. They're more focused. I think they get more out of that. Then when we talk about our game plan and our install, so they're learning better, right? We talk about how important it is, right? There's so many studies out there, how, movement affects learning exact same thing for us on a monday we get out and we move first and i feel like we learn better than um uh, to prepare for our our opponent um afterwards and and then our that sets up a better tuesday wednesday thursday practice as we go through the week and then we go in on friday right um so yeah and, and it does the same thing for us on a practice on wednesday too so we'll right after school we sprint first same kind of process we're, we're timing different things on those two days. Um, but the process is virtually the same. And so, um, when we step on the field then for practice, same thing, guys are eager, guys are energized. Um, they have a ton of energy, um, they're focused, they're dialed in and we have a great practice because Mm -hmm. of it on a Wednesday. So, um, for, for a lot of different reasons, um, you know, that sprint based approach has helped us be faster, fresher, um, more physical on a Friday, but um, also able to execute better, I think, uh, because of it as well. Um, when you're, I think another thing I have to try to sell is when when you're not sprinting, so like on Tuesdays when you're not sprinting, you're lifting, yeah. I know one of the things is going to be asked, what do you do before practice? What's your warm-up? What's your this? What's your that? You know, listening to Tony, it's like your X Factor day. So you have these different things. You can do these bounces yeah. and stuff. Like do this before practice. Is that the type of right. stuff you do with them as well? Or is that more of a track thing? See, this is where my mind goes. Is this um, a track thing or is this yeah, a football yeah. thing? Well, and I think when you look at it, right, it's building what qualities are those things building, right? Explosiveness, power, mm-hmm. bouncy, explosive. Like all the things that are – it's good for a track athlete and it's good for a football athlete, right? right. All the same physical qualities that are going to make a track athlete successful are going to make a football athlete successful. So I don't think they have to be mutually exclusive at all. You mm-hmm. can do a lot of the same stuff we do. Like my off season training looks just like, um, you know, you'd be, whether you're training for to go be a faster sprinter in track versus a, a running back in football, it's no different. And, and I think too, the important thing, just any, like any sport, like, what sport doesn't value speed, power, explosiveness, bouncing, like reaction, like all those physical qualities apply to every sport. And mm-hmm. I truly believe that doing that type of training is going to make you better at any sport you play, regardless of what you do. And, and I, I you know, witnessed to it firsthand with our programs here at our high school, because our guys are training with us in their off seasons and in season and our, our, all of our programs are really, really successful. So mm-hmm. we see our guy, our, our best football players, like our, our starting five basketball players right now, um, they're playing the state quarterfinals here tomorrow up at, uh, university of Minnesota. 
the five starters are all football guys. And so they train with us, you know, through the summer and played football and trained that way. And now here they are having success in basketball. So mm-hmm. it didn't detrain them or make them worse basketball players. I truly believe they're better because of it. And we're going to have a, you know, I think a great run uh, with our spring sport here, uh, spring sports as they kick off with a lot of those same guys. Um, so in terms of kind of our, from the weight room standpoint on Tuesdays and Thursdays, again, everything is making sure that we are prioritizing performance and we're not necessarily um, taking away from our speed development. So we're not going in with a ton of volume um, to kill guys on a Tuesday and a Thursday um, because that's not going to set them up for great practices or high performance on a Friday night. So volume's low. Um, early on in the season, um, in the intensity will be higher from a resistance standpoint. Like we'll still be heavy. Mm-hmm. We're only going two to three reps um, on stuff. And then as we progress through the season, um, that intensity will be backed off and um, at least from a, a load standpoint, but then we'll increase velocities and how quickly we're moving it. So we use um, triphasic training. Um, and I don't know if you've heard uh, of that necessarily or not, but um, a guy by the name of Cal Dietz, who's actually from up here at the University of Minnesota, kind of developed the method. And it's the idea that there's three phases to movement. Um, there's an eccentric lengthening or, or loading phase. Um, there's the isometric or pause kind of um, phase where there's uh, that brief moment where there's not a lengthening or shortening. And then there's the concentric phase, which is your kind of your explosive movement afterward. Um, so there's three phases of movement and we're going to train through those three phases. And so um, we kind of have an emphasis as we go through our off season or even as we go through our in season um, from an eccentric to an isometric to a concentric phase. Um, all three of those being uh, relatively heavy from a resistance standpoint, but the load is always pretty low, less than five repetitions in anything that we do. And then as we get to the end of a regular season into playoffs or the end of an off season block, like for our group that was just wrapping up these last three or four weeks as they were preparing for spring sports because they didn't play winter sport, we were in a power or peaking phase as they're mm-hmm. leading up to the start of their season because we want them peaking as they go into right their next sport or next season or the postseason if they're currently playing the sport. Um, so then things get really light and fast. Um, and we've found that um, from a speed development standpoint, that really supports the growth of that speed and does not detrain speed. But it, um, I don't know that you could say it enhances it necessarily, um, but it does help continue to build size and strength in our athletes, which still is important, right, mm-hmm. from a football standpoint. Um, if it was just track, mass is not necessarily a good thing, right, because right? gravity is going to be tougher on you the heavier that right. you are, right? Um, but in football, um, body mass and, and body armor and size matter, especially at, you know, if you're playing on the offensive-defensive line or things like that. So we want to have a marriage of the two. I think we do a good job of blending those two worlds together in our program to continue to grow um, size and strength uh, in our program, but not necessarily detraining or taking away from the speed development as well. And one thing we'll, we talk a lot about with our guys, um, you know, so we measured, I don't know, um, so truck stick is something that I we've kind of started to use in our program, mm-hmm. and it's really momentum is what we're tracking. And so it's a combination of size and speed. And that's kind of probably our number one metric that we 
um, emphasize with our guys in our program um, as they go, because we had, you know, we've had kids who say a sophomore um, uh, and is going to be a good player for us. Well, to use one kid as an example, he's going to be a, hopefully a starting offensive lineman next year as a junior. He's only a sophomore. Um, he, you know, again, and again, puberty is uh, the best thing too that kids go through, right? right? You can't take fully credit for everything, <laughs> but um, this kid put on, he was 185 pounds coming out of his, uh, the end of football this last year. And he was, uh, I think like 210 pounds as he's going into, oh. he's a thrower in track, right? So grew a ton, put on 25 pounds, 30 pounds in the off season. Um, didn't get a ton faster, a little bit, but shoot. Now he can move 210 pounds as fast or faster than he can move 185 pounds. So we might not see these huge jumps in speed but when we start to marry the two the momentum that that kid can generate now on a football field Mm -hmm. um is far and away better than what he ever could do so for us we're tracking momentum as much as anything else um because i feel that that has the most direct correlation to success on a football field based on your position group um than anything else when it Mm -hmm. comes to blocking and tackling right i the more momentum i can deliver into you um, or at least potentially generate um, is the better. Now I still have to be, you know, good from a technique standpoint and be able to stop, start, change direction. Um, I got to line correctly. I got to make decisions, and know what to do. So, like, yeah, I can build a bunch of momentum. Um, you also then have to apply that, and that's where the football-specific stuff comes into play. Like, you have to be a good coach and a, and a talented player still to apply the stuff that you built in the off-season to the field. So I emphasize that with coaches a lot who reach out. I get a lot of people that are interested in kind of that momentum, that truck stick concept. And some of them will say, Oh, I got this kid. You know, he's just the biggest kid on our team. And so that's why he has the best momentum. It's like, well, yes. Um, and he, and it's truly, he can, but they're like, Oh, he's not the best player. Okay. Well now it's our right. coaches to coach that kid up so he can right. apply that momentum. He, you know, he can generate what he can generate. We got to help him apply it now appropriately. So it's not a, quick fix for a, you know, it's not going to turn a crappy player into a all state player all of a sudden, because you improved his momentum or his truck stick number. Um, we still have to teach him how to apply it, but it does help him be a better player because now he can generate uh, more momentum on the football field than he could before, as long as he can apply it appropriately. So um, I think that's, you know, important to note from the football side of things. Um, we're going to continue to emphasize speed number one, um, but we're still going to, you know, train strength and size uh, in the weight room um, and try to marry the two together as best we can um, and then track, you know, those metrics that represent the growth in those areas and the players know that and see that. So that's what they emphasize um, and typically then what, what uh, you know, what you emphasize you get. So we've been fortunate in our program to be able to do that pretty well over the last couple of years. Yeah, I think the first time I saw that on a national stage was Alabama. I think they talked about Alex Leatherwood during that COVID year. Somehow it got brought up. Somehow, I think it was the first time I had seen it on TV, I think, where they were talking about, like, look, we've tracked this. He's generating more power at the end of a 12-year COVID season than he was at the beginning. And I think besides my friend doing this Feed the Cat stuff, that was the first time I had seen something on TV where it was like, He's gotten stronger and faster. I think it was Indiana's strength conditioning staff went to Alabama, and that's where yeah, it started. Yeah, so Matt Ray. Yeah, and yeah, yep. 
and then uh, David Ballou, um, they kind of went down there together, and now Matt Ray is actually um, with the uh, New Orleans Saints. Yep. Um, but they they were doing it at Indiana, and basically Nick Saban said, "Yep, you, mm-hmm. yep, we're going to bring you bring you guys down here, yes, uh, and do that with five star athletes, yeah, and you know look at you know and and look at the look at the results. So it was actually cool. I was able to um, at our state coaches clinic last spring, um, almost exactly a year ago." Um, Nick Saban did uh, like a virtual Q and A with mm-hmm. us, and so we could like submit questions to him ahead of time, or to a moderator anyway that who would ask him the questions, and then so it was like an hour's worth of time, and he probably went through and answered I don't know eight to ten questions in mm-hmm. that time. Um, but they picked my question, and I basically asked him, um, you know, what are your thoughts on? Uh, your your strength and conditioning, your your em- really sprint based, or kind of emphasis on speed, and it, you know, in your strength and conditioning program, and how do you see that translate to your success on the field and stuff like that? And he gave uh, like a really awesome answer, like well thought out. Like you could tell he was very well versed in the process and and the effect that it has on the players and their success in practice and and on the field and stuff like that from a more of a speed and sprint based focus rather than size and strength. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just said, you know, I, he saw a huge improvement in difference and, um, doesn't see it, you know, going back to doing it, doing it the other way around. So it was really cool to hear, you know, the guy, the guy who was at the top of the pedestal yep. talk about who was willing to change a little bit, um, the way his guys are trained and how they, they go about building, um, those qualities in their players and what they value and what they think helps them be the best best type of uh, football players on the field. So I figure if it's good enough for Nick Saban at Alabama, then yeah, we can do it too, right? Well, who is it, TCU now that's doing it? Like I think that's what Tony said. TCU went to sprint-based football and they got to the national championship game because, you know, they, you know, Michigan, they played Michigan and they looked fast against Michigan like they were doing things. So to have that was kind of cool to see, hear Tony talk about that. Yeah, and they went so yeah this year they they really they had a couple they had sprint I think they sprinted like two or three days a week and tracked mm-hmm. that through the year, um, and so it was awesome to see. I, and you know I don't know I don't know that what they're doing necessarily in their program is revolutionary. I think the the cool thing Brad Dix and I were talking about this um, recently. And he just kind of mentioned because he heard um, uh, Kyle Bolton, uh, who's mm-hmm. their head guy, talk about it, you know, or, or what they did, kind of their process. And he's like, what they're doing isn't necessarily revolutionary. It's similar to what he or I do in our program. I think it's more unique the fact that they're doing it at a Division One program and it's working with Division One athletes and it's leading to more wins and stuff like that. So it's not, you know, crazy out of this world stuff. It's just the fact that, hey, you can implement this at the highest level and find a lot of success doing it that way. Right, because I think, because I'm, you told me your whole week, I'm looking at it and I go, really? Like, that's what I'm thinking in my mind, you know? Or it's more of, well, wait a minute, you say sprint. Does that mean you literally just run in a straight line? And when I listen to Tony or I watch the videos, like, no, it's not always, it is, but you do other things. And, like, I think that's where... <laughs> football coaches are going to go, well, so you just sprint, right? You just run the straight line and you time it every time, right? And I learned very quickly that I'm stupid and that's not always the case. 
or it's or it's oh yeah, there's, it's, it's probably not as complicated as you think there's probably there's there's more to it than just running in a straight line but it's not a complicated process i mean you got to put in some time like understanding like i think it's important to have a a, a good basis of understanding like sprint mechanics mm-hmm. right and, and what what are good um sprint positions to be in when you're max velocity versus acceleration um and so i think there's some important things to note and so we'll like we'll do drill work that reinforces or emphasizes being in good sprint positions to be fast to write to train the brain um the most efficient best way to do it to be fast just like you would mm-hmm. As an offensive line coach, here's how we want you to step hand place right to be an efficient blocker. I'm going to teach you how to be an efficient, explosive, fast runner. And so, you know, we'll go through drill work, but it's like seven or eight drills that we do, you know, and then there's some variations off those and we'll pick and choose. We have, again, we have a palette of things that we'll go through on a particular day, but it's probably no more than seven to eight of them. Mm Because again, we want to be fresh and fast. So it's micro dose everything. Right, just enough um, to elicit a, a response or an improvement. Minimum effective dose mm-hmm. is, is the phrase we like to use a lot. Um, so it's seven or eight speed drills, and then we're timing two sprints. Whether that's uh, fly ten, which is a unlimited build up to uh, max velocity for ten yards, time that, convert that to miles per hour. Figure out how what's your peak, what's your fastest you could run if you had an opportunity to build up and do it. Um, and then another day we'll have more of an acceleration focus. So we'll do like a, you know, a 10 yard start or a five into a 10, um, with a lot of times then we'll kind of build that out to a, we'll time a 40, but we'll kind of measure that first 10 yards and then the full 40. So we have kind of one acceleration day and one max velocity day. Mm-hmm. And then the drill work to accompany each of those qualities or skills on that particular day. Um, but it only is, like I said, it's 20, 30 minutes, probably tops, um, that we do that that speed work and um, make sure that your programming in the weight room is appropriate to supplement that and yeah you'll you'll see your guys get faster. And one cool thing with Tony was it was always something different. He's like, when you get bored of this, do this. You know, you're sure. doing the same thing. And I think that's where maybe when I say us football coaches, talk about people like me that grew up old school. Like my mind is still there. Where like, well, no, it has to be embrace the boredom, right? Like do the same thing over and over. Um, but then watching yeah. like I'm really glad I sat through even though I talked to Tony for like an hour and a half, seeing him at the clinic where he actually showed some of the stuff on the on the yeah. screen where he literally is like, When you get bored of this, do this because this is the same sure. thing as this. Or like, hey, let's have fun with it. They're gonna run over this with both hands straight up in the air to make sure that they're thinking. Yeah. And that's where you could see me and other football coaches in the room were like, what? Like, it was kind of like a what thing. And yeah. not that it was stupid, but we we're just like, wait a minute, what? No, can't right. hard to wrap your brain. And that's, again, that's the, that's the process of, right, learning how to cook, like going through that and figuring out, okay, uh, what, what response does this drill elicit? What are the different variations? of this drill that I can use. And like you said, so you're not doing the same drill every day, but you're maybe doing a similar exercise or drill um, that's eliciting a similar response. Um, So you have those variations to it. So it's not the same thing every day, Um, but you're still building the same qualities through those, through those exercises. And the great part about, 
you know, kind of that essentialism feed the cats approach is it's not like you have to do 30 different exercises in a day that you have to come up with. It's less than 10. And so maybe you have 30 different ones to pick from, mm-hmm. but you're only picking seven or eight on a particular day that are going to, um, you know, uh, marry up with what your speed work that you're doing that day. And then, you know, you can progress that as you go throughout the course of a season or throughout the course of an off season. Um, that's something I kind of challenged myself this past off season was to do a better job building that and writing that mm-hmm. down, that progression that I was going to use. Cause in years past, it was kind of like, and not that it was the, cause some coaches do it. It's like, uh, today we're going to do, and not like on the spot, but like kind of during the school day, I was like, okay, today we're going to do this and this and this because last week we did X, Y, and Z. And, so just here's what we're going to do today. And I'd write it down on a piece of paper. So I kind of knew what we were doing, but I didn't necessarily have it laid out or built real well. And some coaches don't need to do that for me. Like that's how my brain works. I like to have stuff laid out. Right. And a production, not that my players know that or need to know that. But for me now I have it kind of, here's what I did week one through week 12. Mm-hmm. And so next year, when I go back to that, I can look at that and use that as a starting spot. And you can, you know, you're going to change and tweak things as you learn new stuff every year, 100%. Uh, but for me, I had at least had some kind of logical progression as we went through and what we did, and hoping that the stuff we were doing built on um, each other, so that our athletes continue to get better. And you know, fortunately, we have the, you know, we have the numbers and the results to kind of show that it did, which is good, right? So that's that's a great thing about measuring. If you're not measuring, you don't know if what you're doing is actually working, and that's the huge thing with feed the cats too, is right? Is our recording publish that we do with everything, everyone knows where everyone's at, not that they should worry about what everyone else is at. It's more for themselves, their individual growth. Um, but it drives competition a little bit too. Um, but, you know, we say testing is, or tra- sorry, training is testing and testing is training, mm-hmm. right? So we're always um, measuring stuff that we do as part of our training. And so we know if what we're doing is working, if it's not, then we better make an adjustment or change right same thing in football practice right if you <laughs> if guys aren't executing stuff well you're not just going to keep training it the same way you're going to find a different way to to teach it because you're able to measure it so i think that's really really important too that we consistently measure stuff so that we have that feedback as to whether or not we're getting the results that we want and if we're not how do we go about making an adjustment right i could keep going for hours but i'm going to slowly wrap it up because you got a family and all that good stuff <laughs> okay. so um because I, 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 I'm trying to learn for myself. I'm also trying to play devil's advocate of what I know is going to get asked of me if I have – like I said, my friend, we coached for two years. Now he's at a different school. He's a strength guy through and through. I try to have this conversation with him, and he goes, what? Like, explain this to me. Because he was at Yale for a little bit, so he was trying to explain oh. to me, like, what they were doing at Yale and all this stuff. So I'm trying to think. Um, when you guys lift, are you doing it before practice or after would you rather lift beforehand? Yeah, uh, we always yeah lift before. Okay, um, I, I might get asked that yeah. if I go back. Like, were you lifting during yeah. school or before practice? Yeah, so we're the guys that have athletic PE are lifting during the day whenever that class period is. Mm-hmm. Half of our guys, the other half, are lifting after school. It takes less than thirty minutes, probably twenty to twenty-five minutes total. Um, again, not to go down another rabbit hole or whatever, but Caldeets, triphasic training, um, performance pattern cycling is the process we use for our in season. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he would actually say you should use it all year long 
Um, and I don't disagree with them, but, um, at least most recently we've only done it in season, but basically it's setting up all the same exercises that we would have done, but we're setting it up more in a circuit, um, so that our flow through the weight room can be better. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're making sure that we order exercises on top of each other so that we reinforce proper movement and performance patterns, mm-hmm. hence the name performance pattern cycling. So, um, our, I'm lucky to have a strength and conditioning coordinator that works with our district and him and I got a great relationship and we're both right on the same page with, you know, emphasizing speed and, and building that, um, or I should say not building that in the weight room, but, um, reinforcing that in the weight room. And so he does a great job with our programming in and out of season, um, and putting that together for me. So our guys will go in there right after school, um, that need to lift. And then, um, we'll be out on the field, you know, um, 15, 20 minutes after that, um, we get out of school at two fifty-five. our guys are lifting maybe by three Oh five. They're done by three 30 and we're on the field for our pre-practice time at three forty-five. And then our 45 minutes were done by five 30 on a typical Tuesday, Wednesday. I like how, when you say your sprint days, they take like 30 minutes and your lift days still take like 25, 30 minutes. So nothing really dramatically changes yep exactly and so from a scheduling standpoint it's basically we have that same block right three to three thirty after school it's either sprint day or or weight room day um monday through thursday for so from a scheduling standpoint for our for us as coaches and for our players you can kind of expect you know that same flow um every day so i think that really helps too with everyone and, and what they got going on we we used to do morning lifts um and cut that out um, just because I know our guys weren't going to bed earlier mm-hmm. on the nights that they wake up the next day to lift. And again, if we're going to prioritize speed, then we have to be rested and recovered. And so um, the more sleep I can get for my guys, I know the faster, fresher they're going to be and better they're going to be at practice, better they're going to be on Friday from a performance standpoint at the end of the week. So um, we don't do any morning stuff um, anymore just to maximize at least we're not the ones taking away their their sleep time um, on our end. Right. Um, I'm going to ask us. This is I told Coach Holler. I asked stupid questions, so here we go. Um, so, like on your non-sprinting days, like your Tuesdays, there's no pads; it's just helmets. Or you're you're talking. We we don't want guys to get to 100 percent of what they're running. I can already foresee the wide receiver guys talking about running routes and running them hard. Do you still yep. look they're gonna this is what's gonna get asked. So do you want them to jog the routes is what's gonna get asked of me. Like do you want them jogging or do you want them like well we're yeah. supposed to run hard? Yeah, no, and I would say no. Like our guys don't, but what we don't do is we want we're not we're not gonna run our vertical go route where our guy is gonna do a 40, 50 yard sprint to go catch a football. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna do all of our quick game RPO screen stuff on a Tuesday. Okay. Our shorts. So everything's going to be probably under 20 yards. So they're probably never going to actually get up to max velocity on those days. Right. right? They're probably only going to be at, like if a guy can run 21 miles an hour, he's probably never going faster than 16 or 17. Mm -hmm. And he's going to do, so he's never going to, you know, he's never going to touch that max velocity or never, fully stress the CNS necessarily. Mm-hmm. And then our recovery is going to be a little bit easier physically 
and neurologically from that. Um, we're going to do a few less reps. Right. Right. That would maybe do on a Wednesday, not significantly, but maybe, you know, instead of a 15 or whatever, yeah, 15 minute any time, it's like a 10 minute any time. You know what I mean? So right. we're just, we're just trying to scale back as much as we can. We still got to get the essential work in, but we're trying to cut out as much as we can. So we're not getting up to full speed, limiting the contact, limiting the reps. So from a recovery standpoint, right, we're fresh coming into that full speed practice, a little bit higher volume on a Wednesday. Because maybe I'm stupid because they lift it. So now their body is a little, it's not worn down, but they've done something. Yeah, we're turned on, right? Yeah, yep. Yep. So everything, and that's our, that's like, we don't, I think you had asked about that. Like, what do you do with warm up and stuff too? We don't do, we don't do any warm ups. Um, we do RPR, which has mm. been a game changer for us. Have you heard of RPR yeah. at all or it, a little bit? Again, sm- small world yeah. where my buddy did it. Cause okay. I, have a, I have a bad back, like from lifting heavy as a young guy. You know, we want to lift as heavy as possible. I have a bad back. And my buddy's always like, well, I could fix it maybe. Like if it is muscles, even though it's more of my bones, yep. he's like, I could fix it. And this is all he said to me was, I said, well, what is RPR? And this was like two years ago maybe or so. He goes, black magic. That, that, that's all <laughs> That's all it is. And then to make the world even smaller, Chris Corfus, who you're about to probably talk about, started it. He coached yep. at York, where I coach baseball at. Oh, yeah. I see that in your shirt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my head football coach I work for now – worked at York for like a year and a half and he remembers seeing Chris with track doing Do something. Right. And not th- knowing what. this would have been 2012. Maybe he saw this and he even said like, I don't know what this is. So when I was trying to explain all this to him and I brought Chris's name up in this, he goes, that's what that was all those years oh, ago. Right. And I was like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so we just drove past. So I was at, I presented at the TFC clinic at Elmhurst College mm-hmm. in Chicago just recently. And I, I, am I correct that we drove past York High School? That must be close to there. Yeah, York. there's York. Yeah. Then there's IC Immaculate Conception. Right, It's a high school. It's a private school right by Elmhurst. Okay. They're, all in, okay. they're all in Elmhurst. It's all okay. right that's, there. Okay, and that's what I thought because I saw York. I'm like, oh, I'm pretty sure that's the York that Chris was at and yep. stuff like that. So that's the only reason I know York because I knew Chris was there at some point. Yep. Um, so, yeah, so RPR, reflexive performance reset, is, um, you know, essentially a, a series of um, self kind of manipulation or massage points, pressure points on the body um, to ensure, kind of turn on the brain connection with the body to make sure muscles are firing in the pattern that we want, in the order that we want to maximize performance, reduce the risk of injury, so on and so forth. If highly recommend anyone listening. Um, go check out RPR because it's been a game changer for us. We um, that was kind of part of our full two foot dive into sprint based football was me and my defense coordinator. We so through kind of that in the first two months of learning about all this came across RPR pretty early on mm-hmm. through and stuff like that. And we went and got our level one certification with Cal Dietz, uh-huh. who I mentioned triphasic training. So him and Chris are the ones that kind of um, put it put. It used to be called be optimized, and they mm-hmm. basically put it together so that it could be delivered in a sport, team sport setting, stuff like that, and and rebranded it as kind of RPR, um, and kind of their own version of it. 
Um, and so I went out, and so we had already been doing triphasic with Cal, and it's like, oh. And then we heard about Chris Corfus with speed stuff, and all of these two guys then came together and did RPR. So it's like, yeah, we got to go do that. Right. Um, so we went and did that right away in the spring, and have been using it since the spring of 2019, ever since. And we haven't had a kid miss a football game um, for a soft tissue injury since. Um, we've had one missed game due to a concussion, and that was only because we played uh, the game on a Wednesday on a short week from mm. a Friday. Had we played on a Friday, he would have been cleared probably with the protocol. We just didn't have enough days. Right. Um, so from a, a injury standpoint, um, we are like we we have we get broken bones still, hands, fingers, you know, things like that. Um, but we don't have soft tissue injuries anymore, and I think that's really. A combination like yes rpr 100 but we also sprint all year long and so that really just bulletproofs everything um, because our brain can coordinate sprinting consistently you know anything we do any anything else you do is going to be less impactful or less complex for the brain to coordinate so mm -hmm. everything else is easier um and then just how we set up our week you know um from a uh, contact standpoint we're just not hitting a lot so we we don't get injured so um um yeah rprs um highly recommend anybody but that's what we do to get to before any lift or sprint we'll do rpr first and then we'll lift or sprint mm -hmm. and, and then we'll go practice so the rpr lift and sprint is our warm-up mm -hmm. for practice right um then on game days on a friday we do um rpr a few speed drills uh then we go outside and do 15 minutes of pregame and then we play the game so um i usually get dirty looks from the referees because we don't come out on the field <laughs> like i remember 6 30 6 35 for a seven o'clock game yeah. and they're like you're not here for our pregame meeting i'm like yeah sorry we don't need to be <laughs> um we uh so yeah so we we prioritize you know being fresh and fast on a friday night too and we're not outside doing an hour long pregame where we do five minutes of oh five minutes of d indie um a little bit of group time some offensive plays and then we play football so um yeah we we really try to apply that um the same kind of process on a friday night to get ready to play a football game as we do monday through friday or monday through thursday for a practice um the process for our guys is the same so again if we're prioritizing if performance is important on a friday night we want that to look that performance mm -hmm. look the same right monday through thursday we're going to get ready the same way because performance is important to us monday through thursday so we're going to set our guys up to be high performance and expect that um in practice from them because that was the question was, well, what's Friday night look like? That was, you already had answered, you were going to answer it. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. that, what was that going to look like? Because I'm trying to play, I try to play devil's advocate with all this stuff. Like, well, what, what does this look like? What does this look like? And, yeah. Yeah. you know, and because our school, my our program wants to be different. So I'm out here trying to be different. Uh, and so I'm trying to like, I have these questions like, what does this look like? What does this look like? Yeah, uh, all right. And that's what, that's how you got to learn. That's what we, you know, that's what, that's the process we went through too, you know, is, is figuring all that stuff out. And we, you know, we're still honing that in and, mm -hmm. and still adjusting that. You know, I feel like we were at a pretty good spot, you know, after four years of trying to figure it out, but mm -hmm. right away it can be a little unnerving and, and, and unsettling and trying to figure out, you know, or letting go of, you know, old habits and, and trying to figure out, 
you know, how do we do this differently to, to find more success? So, you know, I think you're, you're at the same place that a lot of guys are at, but it's, I, I, I do think, you know, um, it's hard to be kind of half in half out in a sprint based football program. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, we're going to go, you know, uh, we want to build speed. So we're going to sprint two days a week, but then we're going to go practice, you know, two and a half hours on a Tuesday and a Wednesday and be full pads, like, and then expect to still get faster. Like you, you're not going to get, you know, it's pulling the rope in opposite directions. Mm-hmm. And so I do truly feel like to get the most out of it, you, you have to be pulling that rope in the same direction, right? Making speed priority, rest and recovery, like all that stuff that we've talked about um, has to be aligned mm-hmm. properly to make sure you're maximizing the impact of doing it this way otherwise you're going to kind of be spinning your wheels and and probably not get anywhere from from where you were um and that doesn't mean that you know your process is going to be perfect right away but your intent has to be to work in that direction because if you try to hang on to some of the old stuff and implement some of the new stuff you know i don't know that you're going to find the success that that you're hoping to find necessarily that's what i'm afraid of if I'm not saying we'll do a full go, but I control the O line, so maybe I can take sure what what you can, right? Right. Best you can with what you got. Because my head coach is great; he's a great guy. He doesn't listen to this, and if he does say something to me, we we can argue back and forth. He just has to be convinced, if that makes sense. Like now, my strength, our strength coach, who is way younger than both of us, he may not, you know, figure that. He, he interned at Northwestern, so he has a different mindset of what it should be. And I don't argue with him because yeah. he knows more than me. So why? who am I to go in there and say? Sure, and tell him differently. Right. right. Who am yeah. I to do that? Um, yeah. But that's why if I, I'm the type of person, like, I always find one run scheme and I dive into it each offseason. Last year was, I knew wide zone. But I had to learn the difference between wide zone and outside zone because I got crucified when I called wide zone outside zone because it's not the same. <laughs> this year it was duo because duo is not inside yep. zone that I've learned. Oh. I was that sure. guy that said, that's inside zone, right? It's double teams everywhere and got crucified again. And then now it's been this stuff, you know, trying <laughs> to figure out like, how can we be faster? Because what's the one thing we complained about it? I don't care if my head coach hears this. What's one thing we've complained about since I got here was we're not strong enough and we're too slow. That's the two things. And so when I finally decided to dive into this, I said, well, maybe we can figure out how to be fast. You yeah. Know, maybe well, that. and here's the thing is you're going to get by prioritizing speed, you're going to get stronger. Mm-hmm. I don't believe, I, I won't say that I know because I'm not smart enough to know, but I don't believe, and in my experience, that you'll get faster if you just focus on getting stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, because to get faster, it's about putting more force into the ground. Ultimately, force is a combination, right, of being able to do being strong fast. And so, to get faster, you're gonna you'll naturally, as you get faster, get stronger too. So, if you did a whatever, went in the weight room, pick a test, deadlift, squat, whatever you want didn't go touch the weight room again and just sprinted consistently for X number of weeks, went back in the weight room. My hypothesis would be that you'd be stronger than Mm -hmm. what you were 
when you went before. So by prioritizing speed, you can still get stronger. Um, if you prioritize strength, I can't promise you that you're necessarily going to get faster, right? And so ultimately, like you said, you want to do both, right? No coach would ever say, oh, I don't want to get stronger. I don't want to get faster, right? Everyone would agree that those two things are important or would help you be more successful. It's just important to prioritize the right things and then the other stuff will fall into place behind it. Well, do you want help with your hypothesis? Because I can help with that. From okay. personal experience, my junior high school, I was 265-ish. My senior year, I got to 300 from lifting, protein shakes, sure. you know, all that stuff. And I can tell you firsthand that, you know, this is two-a-days now. This was back in the day where you had two practices, blah, 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 blah. And we had a week and a half of two-a-days. I can vividly remember the coaches saying, you don't look right. You look right. – you're strong. Yeah, you weren't moving – you probably weren't moving well. And yeah, I, I was stronger. Don't get me wrong. Like you got stronger, but they even said like, something doesn't, something seems off. Like when we would run, I wasn't saying I was fast. I was two sixty some, but like I wasn't in the way, way back. You know what I mean? Like something yeah. wasn't looking right. Now as the season went on, you know, it's water weight. You start, you know, you're losing a little bit. Then it started to feel, actually started to feel better because you were moving. Because you're moving and sprinting. And, right. Right. So there's your hypothesis. The there's your hypothesis. I was lifting heavy. I was focusing on like, I'm alignment. I yeah. got to be big. I got to do whatever. Yeah. And when it got to that point, I can vividly remember that like I didn't feel right, and they were saying something doesn't look right. Like it's yeah. not. They could working. see it. You could feel it. Right. Yeah. And it's like weight room strength is great if you're a power lifter. Yes. Right? Or going competing in the weight room. That's yeah. Then that's right because that's that's the test. Right. Mm -hmm. That's the priority. The strength. But if you can't um, translate that or express that on the field, then, you know, it's a waste. And that's where I feel with the speed stuff, getting faster is always going to have a positive impact on your performance. Um, getting stronger, uh, not necessarily so. And so um, I think doing both is better. Um, but if you had, you know, if we had to prioritize, which you do, um, speed's going to be our be our priority because the better you can move, you know, um, the better you're going to be able to perform and execute on Friday. Right. I just wanted to help you. As soon as you said that, it clicked back with me. Like, Good. let me help okay. you out there I'll for a second. I'll use you as my reference if I need one in the future. And and you won't have a bad back like me from trying to. Yeah. There you go. Right. And you'll be healthier. Be eighteen. Exactly. That's being 18 years old and putting, trying to put four or 500 pounds on a squat bar and be like, let's do this. Like you were, yeah. you were yeah. in the, in the moment, it seems fine. Yeah. Right. Just hindsight's 2020. 20, right? Well, until you're 21 and your back goes out and you have to like shuffle your feet. Cause you're like, I don't know what just happened. Like you're 21, uh, your hips are out, your back's out yeah. and you're going to a chiropractor once a month. Like it's just, well, and you don't know and you don't know until you until you know right you only you only know what you know and so i think that's important too as we know better um then we then we learn and then we readjust and we do better so kudos to you for trying to improve your process yeah i wish i would have known that a long time ago maybe i wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't have a bad back and that baseball practice every time i swing a baseball bat i'm like when's my back gonna go out again like that's my fear yeah, yeah. now but right yeah you don't want to live in that well i'm also getting well, old too I'm getting old. Well, you'll, you'll, uh, yeah, yeah. Say that. That's that's probably the hardest thing to swallow. Say I'm with you there. Brain still thinks he can do it, but physically, the brain thinks I can. 
my gray hairs and everything else tell me otherwise. <laughs> when a kid challenges me in basketball practice to one-on-one, I'm like, I could do that. And so I do <laughs> it. And then I go home and I'm like, where's the ice bath? Where's <laughs> everything hurts? Um, well, coach, I realized I took a lot of your time. I could keep going on and on. So what will happen is you'll get a message from me again saying we got to talk because something else is going to click through. Hey, you bet. Yeah, we can go. We can go around too. And uh, happy to happy to be on anytime. This was a this was a blast. So I appreciate you having me and the platform to kind of share what we're doing. And you know, any anyone listening, uh, feel free to reach out. Happy to help um, grow sprint based football and, and our feed the cats approach and you know how we build healthy, happy, happy, high performance athletes in our program. It's uh, just think a better way to do it. So thank well. you. Well, Coach Hall, Tony said, Tony's like, you're drinking the Kool-Aid now, right? And I was like, I'm, yeah, si- yeah, yeah. I'm sipping right. on it. I'm sipping right. on it right now. You're guzzling it, right? Big, <laughs> you, big gulps. You guys are guzzling it. I'm sipping on it, and I'm yeah. slowly starting we'll to. You. Well, Coach, thanks for thanks for being here. Um, anybody out there listening, um, thanks for watching or listening, and we'll see you guys next time.